0: course we've named this series The Prodigal Church because the Corinthian church was a church in real trouble. Uh, It had heard the gospel, it had responded to the gospel, but unfortunately the, the culture had permeated them or they had permeated the culture and they hadn't shaken off the culture of Corinth to the degree that Paul had wanted to allow them to reflect the goodness of God and the grace of God that had been shared with them. And so Paul writes this letter to the Corinthian church to help them correct the ways in which they are living. And so last week, we looked at the introduction to this letter as Paul describes to them that the cross of Christ, the preaching of the cross of Christ is foolishness. It's foolishness. He says it's a contradiction to the way that the world speaks and the way the world learns and the way that the world operates. How can you seriously say to somebody that the wisdom of God is seen in somebody who has died? How can you say the wisdom of God is seen in someone who has given up their life rather than gone down that track of being a victorious leader uh, economically or politically or militarily? The cross of Christ is a complete contradiction to the way that the world operates. But Paul says, incredibly, this is where the wisdom of God lies. This is where the wisdom of God not only lies, but it remains, and it remains to this day. And so what we're going to find today is as we look at these next, uh, well, essentially all of chapter two of 1 Corinthians, we're going to find how God's wisdom works. How does God's wisdom work in us? More than just the wisdom of God, how does the Holy Spirit work in our lives? Because we've been given the work of the Spirit to enhance this relationship that we have with Jesus so that it's a live, it's a living, ongoing relationship with God. And it's not something that's just a one-off transaction, a one-off deal that we move on from. So we're told last week that, um, that Jews, the Jews demanded a sign from God. And we saw this everywhere when Jesus was ministering. The Jews were always looking for a miracle and the, the, the Greeks were looking for wisdom. Recognizing that the Greeks, of course, had this great culture of philosopher, philosophers, philosophers, philosophy was the is the uh, is what I'm talking about here. And philosophy means the love of wisdom. And so therefore, when they hear about Jesus, they want to know all the wise things that he says. And the Jews are saying, well, this is all very well, but show me a miracle. And Paul says, look, that's all fine. It's all fine. But the wisdom of God is found in the cross. And so therefore, we have nothing to bring to the cross ourselves. We have nothing except a broken and contrite heart, which recognizes that we are sinners who need saving. That's what the gospel tells us. And so therefore, Paul said this, therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. And that's the final scripture from 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And so this morning, as we move into chapter two, Paul begins to extend this understanding that the foolishness of God is found in the cross. And he starts to tell it by referring to his own story of when he came to be amongst the Corinthians. So this is like a testimony that you're gonna hear in the first few verses. Paul says, and so it was with me. Brothers and sisters, when I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. In that Corinthian church, Paul said, I came to you in weakness and with fear and trembling. Well, that's just the complete opposite, isn't it, to the way that you'd think anybody would present a message that is from God? You'd think, like everybody else who's ever walked the planet and had something great to say, they'd be strong, they'd be bold, they'd be fearless, they'd be a champion in their own way of personal strength and confidence, wouldn't you think? If you've got a great message, you think you'd rock into town and say, I have arrived, I'm here to tell you some great news. But no, Paul says, I come with fear, I come with trembling. Which in itself is a good thing. Because it means that everybody qualifies when it comes to sharing the gospel. And you don't have to be fearful about whether you stutter or mutter around sharing the gospel because the power of God is in the story. The power of God isn't in your eloquence or in your authority or your self-confidence. So when you take the opportunity to share the gospel, you need to be reminding yourself that in your made up way and sometimes you feel like you're not doing a very good job of it, God is at work. God is at work in the other person, stirring them up so that the wisdom of God about the foolishness of the cross Is being made known to them. And I think what Paul is really saying here, this is my summary, is that when you declare your weakness, you're no longer competing. You're no longer competing. You're no longer saying, You might be wise, but I'm wiser. You might be strong, but I'm stronger. Paul's saying, when I turn up into your presence and I share the gospel of Jesus, it's not about me, it's about God. It's not about me, it's about the cross. It's not about me, it's about Jesus. And this was a complete contradiction to those who were com- he was competing with at one level called the super apostles. We're going to run into these super apostles pretty soon, a few months time as we go through this book. But these super apostles were people who'd come into Corinth. They were Christians. But what they'd done is they'd aligned the way in which they spoke about the gospel with the culture of the day, the Greeks. And the Greeks were great orators. They had this fantastic way in which they would speak, this rhetorical uh, preaching or or teaching, which would allow them to present an argument and then present the counter to that argument. So it would keep this conversation going. Sometimes like two people or three people in the room having a conversation, but it was all coming through one person. And uh, I'd love to hear this sort of preaching or speaking. We don't hear it these days, but these people were known for their eloquence. Paul said, It's not about me, it's not about my eloquence. I come in fear and trembling, and on that basis, I'm no longer competing with the super apostles. All my confidence relies on the message itself. And we can see how this happens. If I just use an example, Um, when when the telephone was invented, Alexander Graham Bell invented the telephone. He didn't have to get up there and do a big sales pitch to convince somebody that this thing was was gonna be useful. He said, here's the telephone. You work it out for yourself, but you'll find that it's a useful tool that we're going to change our world with. Okay, he didn't need to put on a big sales pitch. It sold itself. And so for Paul, he's saying the gospel sells itself. Why? Because the power of God is wrapped up in it. And as we push on this morning, you're gonna see how the power of God actually works in the context of sharing the gospel. Paul said, my message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. Now, how many of you can identify with that opening line there? My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words. Okay? That's the interesting thing about uh, all of us, is that when we're sharing our faith, be it uh, on the golf course, be riding your bicycle with some friends, be it in the workplace, when you're out fishing, when you're, I don't know, whatever you might be doing, <laughs> um, and you try to explain the gospel, you often feel inadequate, don't you? You feel, I've got this amazing message and all I seem to do is mess it up. Yeah, I've got this amazing message and I just never seem to get it across to people in the right way. What Paul will be saying to you is don't give up, but trust Trust that even in the the messy way in which you talk about Jesus and his death and resurrection, the power of God is working in the other side of the conversation, in the ears and the heart of the person that you're sharing that gospel with. I know for myself, when I first heard the gospel, I know it was nothing to do with the eloquence of the person sharing it with me, but it was everything to do with the fact that God was working in my life at the time, in that moment. So when Paul here says... um, Uh, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom but on God's power, he's talking about two different things here. Firstly, he's talking about the power of the miraculous. And we see throughout Jesus' ministry that the miraculous, the signs and the wonders that followed the preaching of the gospel was a sign that authenticated Jesus. Okay, it authenticated Jesus. And it told the Jews, even though they didn't want to know about it, that this was the Messiah, okay? So we, we see this, uh, here's a picture, uh, must have been taken by one of the disciples at the time, of uh, Jesus healing uh, the man born blind in John chapter nine. So this man, uh, yeah, literally born blind, and the theology of the day was that his parents, or he, must have sinned. If his parents must have sinned, if they hadn't sinned, then somehow this man must have sinned in the womb, a theology of suffering built around sin. Jesus said, we have none of this. And so he heals this guy and just really puts the cat amongst the pigeons in respect to the Jewish understanding of sin and healing. And so it became a classic sign and a wonder, a powerful event that, of course, proved that Jesus was authentic. We move on into the book of Acts and we find Peter and John going up to the temple and passed by the gate called Beautiful. And there's a beggar, a cripple actually, uh, crying out, looking for, as they say, arms, which was gifts. And so Peter said to them, gold and silver I have not, but in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, stand up and walk. And so again, authenticated by the, the miraculous. Now you have every right to expect from God, the expectation that you should be having is that when you're sharing the gospel, God is at work and it could be the miraculous, it's happening. You're never quite sure how it's all going to outwork itself, but your responsibility is to believe that God is at work and that you can pray into a situation when you're sharing the gospel or sharing your love with other people, that God is at work operating in behind the scenes to affect that, the outcome of that conversation or the results that are happening in somebody's life. Okay, so don't be shy of praying the big, bold prayers. Don't be shy, because I can guarantee you the prayers that aren't answered are the ones that aren't prayed. Okay, that's the one thing I can guarantee you. Now, when we go back to this scripture here, we, we, we look at it, and we can look at it in two different ways, of course. Uh, I'll read it again. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom but on God's power. Now there's another part to this whole story of what is God's power. And it comes in the the word called conviction. Uh, You could be sitting here at any given time or you can be reading your scriptures at home. You could be having a conversation with somebody in your life group, or you can be in prayer. And there's a quickening in your spirit. Something happens in your spirit and you get prompted, challenged by what God is saying to you. And this conviction is the power of God upon you. And it's something that we, are, we should, be, should be comfortable with because this is how God speaks to you, okay? We're always waiting for that neon sign to come up, but it never happens quite as easily as that. The prompting and the leading of the Spirit, we heard Bernie talk about that today. He felt this is the right time, the right season to move into some more training. But um, let's have a look at some examples of this. Uh, When the church was born, and the book of Acts records that uh, the church was born there at Pentecost, the Holy Spirit fell upon the disciples, and they started to speak in this new language, these new languages. And Peter, the apostle, gets up, and he starts to share with the audience, which was about three to four, 5,000 people possibly at the time, what was going on. And so he shares with them the story of Jesus, and it gets to the end of this time when he shares the story. And these are the last couple of verses. It says this, Peter saying, therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. And there was his final, final statement. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And that being cut to the heart is not a physical cut to the heart, okay? Be careful about that. Find that uh, that sort of evangelism doesn't work very well. Um, But they were cut to the heart by the Holy Spirit. These people were uh, in in a state of repentance. They were in a state where they were crying out to God because they realized that this Jesus who had just been crucified 50 days beforehand was actually God's messenger, God's son, our deliverer. And they were like, oh man, we've missed it. And they were cut to the heart. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. That's the power of God coming upon someone. And in this case, 3,000 people. Because they go on to say, Peter says, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promises for you and your children and for all who are far off For all whom the Lord our God will call. Okay? So these people were cut to the heart. Do you like that? You ever been cut to the heart? Yeah? I hope so. It's an important experience to have, but it's not a one off experience, is it? It's not a one off experience that just brings you to the point of accepting forgiveness from Jesus. This cut to the heart, this conviction that comes upon you from time to time, or more often than not, in times of change that God is wanting to bring into your life, this is a gift from God. 1 Thessalonians has a very similar uh, description of this when Paul writes to them and says this, "'For we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, "'that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you "'not simply with words, but also with power, "'with the Holy Spirit and deep conviction.'" You know how we lived among you for your sake, okay? With deep conviction. And I know for myself, when I became a Christian, it was this deep conviction that allowed me to cast off everything else that the world was telling me I should be or could be. It was this deep conviction that I felt that made me realize that Jesus Christ is Lord. And as I yoke myself to him, as I tie myself to his will, then I was going to be fulfilling God's expectations for my life. And it's these deep convictions that carry us into areas of change, repentance, uh, new beginnings. All of these things are about this deep conviction that we experience as we press into God and learn what it is that he wants from us. So let's get back to um, 1 Corinthians, because Paul begins now to unpack what it literally feels like as the Holy Spirit starts to work in our lives. Now, I've got to admit, and maybe I'm confessing this for you, but there are times when you read Scripture and you go, yeah, 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 what on earth is that all about? Da da, da 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 move on to the bit that you understand, and then you press on, right? Because not everything's as clear as Genesis 1-1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and you go, yeah, I got that bit, okay? It's not always that clear, is it? We're getting into that fuzzy area here, but I'm really excited about it because You're going to see how the Holy Spirit works. We do, Paul says, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature. Not that the wisdom of this age or the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. No, we declare God's wisdom, a mystery that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. None of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory." So Paul is saying that throughout all of history, as God has made himself known to his people, there has been something that he's held on to, Paul calls the mystery of God, that is being held on to until such a time as this. Okay? So this is a remarkable thing because it says that God has staged his salvation and we are now the recipients of this mystery. This mystery called the Holy Spirit working in your life. And Paul goes on to say that this is such a marvellous thing. And he takes a quote out of Isaiah and he says, however, as it is written, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard and what no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love him, these are the things God has revealed to us by his spirit. Now, when the Holy Spirit is working in your life, it's, it's a very um, critical moment in your own uh, journey with God because in this moment, you're actually having, in some cases, it'll be when you first become a Christian, it's a moment of acceptance or rejection. I, again, my own story, I know when I first heard the gospel, it was explained to me, uh, it was a very powerful story hearing about Jesus who died for my sin, and you know now I need to accept that gift of God. The first response that I had was, well, Jesus died for sinners. Well, he died for bad guys. I'm not a bad guy. You know, he died for those who are in prison all the murderers and the rapists and the white collar criminals. They're all bad too. He died for them. But he didn't need to die for me because I'm not a bad guy. I'm not in jail. What I needed to have adjusted was my understanding of sin, how God saw sin. And it was the Holy Spirit working in my life that made me realise that I too was a sinner who needed saving. And so God is saying that um, every one of us in this moment will experience some work of the Holy Spirit in their lives. And what Paul is doing is he's endorsing this. He's saying, look, God is at work and you might not necessarily understand this as God, but it is God at work in your life. And so in a sense, the preaching of Jesus Christ crucified is a spiritual key that unlocks the human heart and this is what's going on when you share the gospel or you had the gospel shared with you is that there is a spiritual dynamic that comes into play only at the preaching of the gospel you can preach a whole lot of different things but let me let me let me describe to you maybe what your own experience has been. You can have a conversation with people over the coffee cups, maybe in your workplace, where you can talk about Muhammad, you can talk about Buddha, you can talk about different philosophies. But the moment that you mention Jesus Christ and him crucified, the spiritual temperature goes up. Have you noticed that? You can talk about all of these Eastern philosophies. You can talk about a whole bunch of stuff. You mention Jesus Christ crucified, resurrected, Boof, you've just walked straight into a war zone, a spiritual war zone. And you need to be conscious of this because otherwise you can go in underprepared. But it is a spiritual war zone. Uh, When I was starting at Baptist College, um, there were some students who had graduated ahead of myself. And what they'd done, three or four of them, had set up a little group that met on a Sunday morning uh, up in Queen Street. They hired some premises there, just like a little cafe thing. And the whole reason for doing it was so that they could have spiritual conversations with people of like mind. They sort of put an advert out, probably in the paper as you would have done in the day or, or a letterbox drop. I'm not sure how they did it. And they had these people coming along and it was getting close to Easter. And someone said, hey, we better put our colours and nail, on, get our colours and nail into the mast. Okay, it's the, this, is, this is the term we are using it. And so what they did at Easter is they got a big wooden cross and they put it on the floor in the middle of their uh, group that was meeting and they asked people to reflect upon what the cross of Jesus Christ meant to them. That was the last time they ever met. That was the last time they ever met. Because the cross of Christ is so challenging that if you take it for what it is, it's going to cause you to either run away or run towards Jesus. That is the spiritual dynamic. That's what I'm describing. And I'm sure many of you experienced this before. You can sit in your office and talk about God all you like, mention Jesus Christ, him crucified and resurrected, and you've got a war on your hands. Yeah? Has that been your experience? Yeah, I'm sure it has been, because that's the nature of the spiritual world that we live in. That is the world that we live in. The boundaries, the beginning and the ends around the name of Jesus Christ. By no other name can people be saved. And the spiritual realm knows this. This is where the battle is. And that's why Paul says, Jesus Christ and him crucified is the wisdom of God. It's the power of God. It's the moment in time when God came and spoke to his creation, the human race, and said, this is how I want to demonstrate my love for you. All right? So when we're talking about spiritual things, like we are today, we run into a language problem. Because it's very hard to describe what is happening in your own life when the Holy Spirit is working in your life. Never as much trying to work out what is happening in somebody else's life, right? So let's read what Paul has to say about this. Paul says, The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. with spirit-taught words. The person without the spirit does not accept the things that come from the spirit of God, but considers them foolishness and cannot cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the spirit. Now, you don't have to put your hand up, but you might might just want to, in your own head, agree with me. Sometimes when you read words like this, you go, all too much for me. What does this really mean? Let's just move on. Here is a beautiful bit of language, if we can understand it, of how Paul is describing what the Holy Spirit is doing in a person's life in the moment and in the moments after that they hear the gospel. And so what I've done is I've just pulled out some of the words. We're going to have a look at this passage again. I've pulled out some of these words just to try to highlight what Paul is saying here. I hope I do it justice. So highlight it. The Spirit searches all things, even Deep things of God. Now, before we go any further, Paul's talking about things. <laughs> Why is he talking about things? Because he hasn't got a name for it. You know, when you say to somebody, "Oh, God's speaking to me about stuff." What stuff? Oh, just stuff, things. You know, can you? Can is, is God being specific? No, no. I just know that this isn't right, and I feel this, and. It, oh. I wish God would be clearer, but right now there's things happening in my life. This is what Paul is trying to authenticate for us. These emotions, these feelings are the work of the Spirit are a genuine experience for you as a Christian. God is stirring you up, and there might be a fresh revelation, a new conclusion to what you want to do with your time and energy. But God is at work. That's what Paul's trying to say. So uh, he says, for who knows the Spirit's thoughts, except their own spirit. So it's a spiritual conversation we're having here, Paul, Okay, within them. In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God, Okay, except the spirit of God. What we have received is not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, so that we may understand what God has freely given us. So see, Paul's trying to develop a spiritual language which explains the experience that we have as God is speaking to us by his spirit. This is what we speak, not in words taught us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit. Okay, a language. Explaining spiritual realities with Spirit-taught words. The person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the Spirit. Yeah. Does that help? Yeah. Yeah. So Paul is trying to do something which I would have found pretty much impossible. How do you describe the thing that happens when the Holy Spirit is working in your life, bringing conviction, bringing revelation, bringing a greater sense of of love for somebody or, or a need for repentance, a need for forgiveness, a greater sense in which you need to partner with somebody in something. All of these things that are going on in your life are a sign and a wonder that the God of the universe is personally interested in you, personally calling you into a greater level of fellowship. And you know, the only thing that gets in the way of this is a hardened heart. It's a hardened heart. And we're all guilty of hardening our hearts. We're all guilty. Because there are times when God says, hey, look, I want to call you out of this. I want you to stop this. You've got a bad attitude and you go, nah. Not today. Not today. And then a month later, they caught going round the mountain. The same challenge comes back. You go, nah, nah. And finally, if you're wise, you'll go, okay, I surrender. All right? I surrender to the spirit of the living God. And when you do surrender, you go, why did I fight? Why did I argue? God only wants good for me. He doesn't want harm for me. So therefore, I surrender. Um, Ephesians talks about it this way. When Paul wrote to the Ephesians, he said, They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. So the ignorance that is in them is not because they're stupid. It's because they harden their hearts. Yeah? Paul puts it this way. The person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolishness. And cannot understand them because they are spiritually discerned only through the Spirit. This is a fantastic piece of scripture which gives life to us because it tells us that our experience with the living God is an experience that people have had for 2,000 years. And that the very reason why the church has survived for 2,000 years and thrived for 2,000 years is because of this very fact that the Spirit of God is alive and well and functioning in everybody's life. Because believe me, as we know, the cross is foolishness. If it wasn't for the Holy Spirit alive and working in us, the mystery of God that is, that is met with each one of us, the Christian message in the person of Jesus would be just a little side note in Jewish history about a guy who came, started a revolution of peace and love and just disappeared. Why is the church what it is today? It's because the Holy Spirit is alive and active in your life and my life. And every one of us has access to the wisdom and the love of God through the Holy Spirit's work. And so I just want to assure you and reassure you that the Holy Spirit is willing, wanting, passionate about having a living relationship with you. That's what the Holy Spirit does. Jesus told the disciples the day before, the night before he was crucified, that they would experience a new revelation of God that comes from the Holy Spirit. He he calls it the Paraclete, the Comforter. The Comforter will come and bring you peace. It's a beautiful thing. And Paul is saying, Listen, I don't come to you with flash words. I don't come to you with superior wisdom. I come and I tell you about Jesus Christ and him crucified. And the spirit of God will will quicken that to you, tell you that this is the truth. And now you need to respond to that. Paul then stands back because you see, it wasn't about Paul. It was never about Paul. It was always about Jesus. Let's stand Father, we know that uh, the gift of your Spirit is something that at times is a mystery to us, but as we've heard today through Scripture, it's a wonderful gift. And it brings us together with that experience of knowing the prompting and the leading that you give to us. It gives us a reassurance that we are part of your family. That we're not isolated beings having these strange experiences, but we're all in this together. That when you prompt us, when you lead us, when you cut our hearts, when you bring conviction to us, that's your love being poured into our lives as you, as you lead us one step after another, day by day, month by month, to ensure that we're reminded of your love, that we're reminded of the security you give us, that you'll never forsake us, you'll never leave us, but you're always going to be there to strengthen us through whatever challenge we might face. So Lord, I pray for people today that they would refresh themselves and you be reminded that those still small voices that prompt us, that those convictions in our conscience and in our heart are reminded to us as being your word to us, your your love, your voice. And so God, we, we thank you for scripture, that authenticates our experience and helps us to understand that the life we live with you is incredibly powerful and immediate. It's right here in front of us. And so we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. As we just sing this final song, I just want to invite you to um, to reflect upon that quickening or that cutting of the Holy Spirit in your own life. And maybe over time you've pushed that back and just wanted to rest in your own confidence and your own mental ability and agility rather than, than the quickening of the Lord's and the Holy Spirit in your life. Um, it's very easy to get a hardened heart. Even as you're sitting in church every week, it's very, very easy. But I just want to remind you that God's love for you is is. Is never-ending, and it's never going to get in the way. never going to stop you getting in the way of refreshing your relationship with Him. So uh, maybe when you when you're um, singing today, you can pray that prayer. Or if you want someone to stand with you, uh, you can come to the front. We've folks here who would love to pray with you, just to help you be refreshed in the good things of God and the work of the Holy Spirit.